I think it was about 10 months ago, I believe you already heard a sermon on this very text, but thankfully most of you probably don't remember it. And um, so I guess it is fitting for me to once again revisit this text since I'm here. Anyway, uh, it's Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Thanks be to God for his holy word. May he bless the reading and preaching of his word this morning. It is the third day of Passion Week and Jesus is teaching in the temple. And Jesus has been bombarded with a long line of questioning coming from the religious leaders of his day. The last question was answered and it left the questioners silent. But it will be good to revisit what the last question was and part of Jesus' answer. A scribe asked him a genuine question. Which is the greatest commandment? Jesus responded, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One thing to notice about his response is that it is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So it is to be considered the very words of of God. And so we are to recognize that God is a God who has identified himself. He has an identity and he has chosen to reveal himself to us. And it is in this context of discussing who God is, his mind went to asking, well, who do you think the Christ is? Because in the same way, the Messiah has an identity that hasn't been fully understood in light of what Scripture teaches. And this is where he goes in his teaching. He identifies himself. He reveals himself. Because the reason behind all of their questioning was to distract from the ultimate question, and that is, who is Jesus? And what does that mean To you. This is the ultimate question of the entire gospel, and it is the ultimate question of all of the gospels. And the question is who is Jesus, and what does that mean for you? The answer to this question is something you can't get away from in the New Testament. The religious leaders didn't want this question to be answered because if Jesus is indeed the Christ, then they would have to respond to him because he holds ultimate authority over them. But up until this point, they have rejected and denied him. And due to their pride and hard-heartedness, they couldn't face another embarrassing moment. See, this is what we often find in the world. People have many questions about the Bible. And sometimes the Bible is misread and people are misled. 
Some mislead others to say that the Bible teaches basically the same thing as every other religion. But this is to distract from the most important question, which is, who is this Jesus? Who is the Christ? The identity of the Christ or the Messiah has been the topic of many discussions, books, and films over the years. There are many interpretations of what the scriptures teach about who the Messiah is and whether or not he is just a human prophet or much more. For example, there's a teaching out there among New Agers uh, who are into this New Age spirituality that teaches that Christ is just another title for the Anointed One. And that there have been many Christs throughout Israel's history. They teach that Jesus is just one among many equals. They teach that Moses was a Christ. David was a Christ. And Solomon was a Christ. And these Christs come to earth every so often. Rather than being types of Christ and unlike Christ who have all been guilty of sin, they have made mere humans equal with Jesus. You see, they try to blur the lines and get rid of the distinction and the difference between Jesus and everyone else so that he could appear to be just human. And what that would mean for us is that all humans have the ability to become Christ's. We can all become God's with the right techniques, of course, through meditation or the right lifestyle choices. They say that is the true end goal for every human, is to become a Christ. But like the scribes and like some of his own followers, they have lost sight of all of what Jesus has said and done so far. They ignore the scriptures. So he expounds the scriptures like the prophet that he is. He teaches from scripture that the Christ is the Lord of David, which means they are not on the same level, and David is not the Christ. And that the Christ is the son of someone other than David. After answering their questions, he made clear the true standards of God's law, and thus he silenced his enemies to the point that no one dared to ask any more questions. This ought to be everyone's response to the law of God. When we hear the law of God, our response should be silence. Not, oh yeah, yeah, I know, I've done that. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good at this, that, or the other, yeah. Uh, maybe I've told a white lie. No, it ought to be silence. And to further clarify what his position is and what type of authority that he bears, he identifies himself through speaking in the third person. So he begins asking his own set of questions. In other words, he was saying, it's my turn. After they questioned his teachings, he defeated his enemies at their own game in the realm of argumentation. And now as he is teaching in the temple, he asks a question about the teaching of the scribes. See, it was a scribal teaching 
that the Messiah was to be known as the son of David. And there is evidence that this teaching got around, especially when Bartimaeus called him son of David. And he said, have mercy on me. Or when he was greeted on the way to Jerusalem with loud praises in the villages from those who identified him as the son of David. But this title, son of David, is nowhere found in the Old Testament. Then why this title? Well, the reason for this title is because the Messiah was believed to come in the lineage of David. I have a great-grandfather by the name of Theophilo. So I'm the, technically the son of Theophilo, right? David was considered to be the most beloved king in the eyes of the Jewish people. And David was promised that his throne was to be established forever through his son. Meaning, through someone in his lineage. Uh, This is found in the Davidic covenant. Nathan the prophet speaking to David on behalf of the Lord says, When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Judging by the immediate context of that text, this is speaking of King Solomon. But throughout the history of Israel and throughout the scriptures, it has also been interpreted to be speaking of the Messiah. Especially when you consider that Solomon had shamed the Davidic dynasty with his sin and is now dead. Yet David's throne was promised to be established forever. It was to be an eternal throne. So yes, Jesus is the son of David in the sense that he is a descendant of David, as we read in the opening verse of the Gospel of Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But he asked this question to challenge the scribes and their understanding of who the Messiah is. See, their understanding was limited. He asks, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Again, he is not saying that the Christ is not the son of David. It is believed by this point, the title son of David had been reduced to the idea that the Messiah is going to be primarily a political figure who will liberate the Jews from Rome. So he is trying to correct their understanding of who the Messiah is. He is asking, do you think that is all he is? Is he only the son of David? Do you think that he is just merely a human liberator or like any other human king that has come before? Is he merely human? Is he just another descendant of David, or is he much more than that? Remember, in their eyes, David was second to God. And so what he says next would really get their wheels turning. He asks another question, and he goes to Scripture. And we see what Jesus' view of Scripture is here. He believes that the writers of the Scriptures were inspired by God, And wrote down the very words of God. 
So as a prophet, he explains the scriptures and exposes what had the potential to become false teaching. He asks them, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. Now, there is much to unpack here. And I would recommend that you actually turn now to Psalm 110, if you'd like. And I hope you are able to follow. The scripture Jesus quoted was from Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament passage in all of the New Testament. Psalm 110 is a royal psalm used when a king is enthroned. And it was written by David himself. This is unlike any other royal psalm. First, David speaks of two lords who both have sovereignty over him. Both having divine power and authority over this earthly king. He says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now you can't see this in your New Testament, but if you go back to the Old Testament passage in Psalm 110, you will notice that the first Lord is spelled with all capital letters, L-O-R-D. This is telling you that the Hebrew word that is being translated is the word Yahweh. This is the sacred name of God. This is the name that God revealed to Moses in the burning bush when God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, the second Lord is written with a capital L and lowercase O-R-D. This is telling you that the Hebrew word that is being translated is the word Adonai. This is a word that is mostly used for God uh, throughout the scriptures and sometimes used for kings or lords. And it means that he is the absolute sovereign one. He is superior And above everyone and everything. He rules creation and governs the direction that we are all heading in. And this second Lord has been interpreted to be speaking of the Messiah or the Christ. And the people of Jerusalem, especially the scribes, would have known who he was speaking of at this point. They would have known about the character and nature of the person he was referring to. That is the second Lord in that text. Because if David calls him Lord, and if David is the king who is second only to God, then this Lord, this Adonai, must be a superior being. Well, who is he? Listen to what Yahweh promises Adonai. He says, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now to sit at the right hand of God is another way of saying that he is to sit in session. Right? This is similar to what it means when the elders sit in session. When we govern and make decisions regarding the church. We all sit down as equals. So that means the pastor doesn't run the show. Right? 
thankfully for you. So for this Lord to sit at the right hand of God means he is going to be exalted and sit as an equal to God and share in God's glory, authority, power, and righteousness to rule much like Daniel's vision of the Son of Man. The glory that God said he would share with no other human being. Then if you go back and read the rest of Psalm 110, especially verses 2 to 4, the identity of this Lord or Messiah is further revealed. Based on verses 2 and 3, he is revealed as king. The Lord, Yahweh, sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So he, Adonai, is identified as the king. But when you get to verse 4, we see the second reason why this psalm is unlike any other royal psalm. Because this superior king is said to have priestly duties. Now this is rare, but on special occasions, the king would offer sacrifices like a priest. Like when King David, dressed in a linen ephod, which is a priestly garment, brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, placed it in the tent that he set up for it, and offered sacrifices. But this priestly order in Psalm 110 is different. It's different. It says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You're probably asking yourself, well, what does that mean? Who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek is mentioned only in three books of the Bible. Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and throughout the book of Hebrews. Genesis 14 gives us a random account of Abram's encounter with Melchizedek. As Abram was meeting with the king of Sodom after he rescued his nephew Lot from the four kings, out of nowhere appears Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Not Salem, Salem. That is the king of peace. And he brings with him bread and wine. Bread and wine symbolize sacrifice and atonement, which brings blessing and peace with God. Then Melchizedek goes on to bless Abram. Now think, who else brought bread and wine as a priest of God Most High to his disciples? Jesus did. You see the pattern. Then Abram gave him a tithe, a tenth of everything, as if he owed it to him. There's no explanation as to why Abram gives him a tithe. He just does. We see the beginnings of a priestly order that is different than that of Leviticus or of the chief priests and scribes of Jesus' day. There is no animal sacrifice. And the identity of the king priest or the priest king is unknown until you get to the letter of Hebrews, especially chapter 7. It describes this Melchizedek as being first, by translation of his name, 
king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem. That is, he is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Melchizedek, in other words, was of divine origin. It is believed that Melchizedek was a Christophany, or the pre-incarnate Christ himself, who met with Abram. So this Lord in Psalm 110 is speaking of someone who is from eternity, who has no genealogy, so it is not speaking of one with just a human nature. It is speaking of one who has a divine nature. So what Jesus was saying is that this Lord or Messiah in Psalm 110 is eternal. He is not like David. He is not like the Levitical priests or the priests of his day. But he is entirely different. He shares in the glory and power of God. So this means he is not just a human. He is saying that God is speaking to someone who bears the title of God in Psalm 110. Now, does this mean there are two gods? Well, no. Remember, God is one. He is one in essence, though he is three in persons. So what this means is that the Messiah is not only the son of David, but he is also of divine origin. We see this truth of Psalm 110 expressed when Jesus had authority to forgive sin, when he rebuked the sea and then walked on it, when he commanded healings and commanded that demons come out of their victims. He commanded with authority. He didn't just simply request or ask that these things would happen. And the demon's response to him is evidence that he was more than just a man. He displayed his authority over life and death when he raised Lazarus and Jairus' daughter from the dead. He displayed his authority over the temple as he sought to purify her worship. And he demonstrated his priestly service to bless his people and to assure them that through him we are forgiven. And he has the power to bring us home to him one day. Then he will go on to institute The Lord's Supper with bread and wine, not grape juice, just saying, bread and wine, and say, this is my body and blood broken and shed for you. Then he will offer his body and blood, not animal's blood, like the old system that was passing away, but his body and blood on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins and rise on the third day to be exalted to the right hand of God in fulfillment of this prophecy in Psalm 110. He is not merely human. No one has done what this man has done. And with authority, Jesus proclaims this in the temple. He is saying, I am the Lord of this temple. I am the priest king who has come to offer a sacrifice that is eternal. What you're doing here will soon pass away. He is not like David. 
His kingdom is to be established forever. He is superior to David. He is superior to all of mankind. So how can he just be his son? And this is what he asks next. David himself calls him Lord Adonai. Remember David is second to God. Yet he calls the Christ Lord. And he describes this Lord as having the power to fight for David. In a way that can only be ascribed to God. And it is the same way that the Christ fights for his church today. If David calls him Lord, so how is he his son? He is superior to David. And we know that children are not superior to their parents. He can only call him Lord if he existed before David. He can only call him Lord if he is going to exist after David. In fact, the Christ was always David's Lord until he became David's son in Mary's womb. And yet he remained David's Lord through it all. Jesus is answering the riddle of the incarnation. How God took on flesh and was born of a virgin. So how is the Christ to be just a son to David and nothing more? Well, maybe because he is someone else's son as well. See, Psalm 110 is closely connected to Psalm 2. They both speak of the Messiah or the Anointed One. Now, Psalm 2 is directly speaking of Solomon, but it will later be attributed to Jesus both before and after he was raised. It says, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Notice in both Psalms there is a conversation between Yahweh and the Messiah who is his son. Uh, Jesus is here teaching the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. As David, who was in the Holy Spirit, declared the Lord, that is Yahweh, the Father, said to my Lord, the Christ, who is the Son. Three divine persons in the Lord our God, who is one. So whose son is he? Is he the son of David? Well, yes, but that's not all. He is also the son of God. This is what he was trying to get across. He is divine. He is the one whom all must pay homage and swear allegiance to. Notice in how he just silenced his enemies. The scribes would have understood what he was getting at. They would have understood that the Messiah cannot just be a human or merely an angelic being. He made himself equal with God. He is your Lord, whether or not you acknowledge him. He goes from telling the scribe, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he goes to identifying the Christ as this God. Whom they are to love with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he left the question hanging to leave the ball in their court. He leaves it up to them. He is saying, what are you going to do with this? He could be asking us, what are you going to do with this? 
What are you going to do with this identity? Forget the world and all the ways that the world is trying to identify you. The most important question you have to answer is, do you identify with this Christ? That is the most important identity to have, is whether or not you align yourself with this Christ. Now the crowd seems to receive what he is saying, and the great throng heard him gladly. But did they really understand its implications? Now, as I've said many times before, and probably saying, well, he's repeating himself. Well, I, I do that often, don't I? But to say that Jesus never claimed to be God is foolish. It is a foolish claim. He claimed to be God, but he didn't speak in the ways that we would speak today, right? He wasn't from New England, right? New Englanders have a bad reputation of just being blunt and straightforward. So if he was from New England, he would probably say, hey, I'm God, now deal with it, right? I get that comes out in my preaching sometimes and my bluntness. I'm working on it. Sanctification is a long process. We know that. Um, But no, he spoke in ways that the people of his day would have understood. He challenged their understanding of Scripture and what they thought the Scripture taught, what they had memorized. He challenged them in a way they would understand. And this claim has bearing on us today. Much like in the two Psalms, his enemies, the scribes, ignored his call. They ignored the call of God that said, kiss the son, lest he be angry. They ignored the fact that this Lord, Adonai, the Messiah, will be exalted one day and conquer his enemies and execute judgment. And they ignored the call that said that this Lord forgives sin. That he has the power and authority to forgive sin. He would later warn the people about the scribes who do what they do only to be seen in public and make false claims about their own piety through prayer. And the one who they should really be concerned about was the one who was standing right before them in their midst. So the question for all of us is, have you responded to this call? Have you aligned yourself with this Lord? Forget the gods of the world. What about this Lord? Or are you going to follow the world who keeps trying to disprove that this Jesus is Lord? They keep saying, He never said He was Lord. He's revealing how you can be Lord, how you can be the Lord of your own destiny. But the scriptures says otherwise. The scriptures promise that this Lord will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. This Lord, this Messiah is Unique. He is not one among many. 
As Paul says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, including David, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That is the living and the dead. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when we're worried about whether or not the kings of the world or the leaders of the world are bowing to Jesus, we go to this text. They will bow one day, even if they don't now. We're not here to force them to bow. Jesus will force them to bow. That's promised in the scriptures. Now the question is, in our bowing, will it be with joyous expectation or with humiliation? God has become man to take us to be with him. If he was not who he said he was, we would have no hope. Judgment would be all that we would be looking forward to. If he was just a teacher, if he was just a prophet, he could never atone for our sins. He could never be the priest king after the order of Melchizedek. But the scriptures teach otherwise. Psalm 110 teaches otherwise. Jesus teaches otherwise. That he is our God. And that he is our priest who offered up himself as a sacrifice for us. Who intercedes for us at this very moment. Who is our only security. And our only constant help. And he is our king. He is our king. Who rescues us. Who protects us from the enemy. Who guides us. Who secures us. To lead us all the way home. He is the Lord. And he is sovereign and mighty in battle. Even if we don't see it today. But you name the trial. He is there. And he is there with us. You see they wanted a Messiah. For selfish reasons. And just like little children, they didn't know what they really needed. And the same goes for us today. When we see that things aren't going our way and we say, well, he, he must not be ruling. Because things are just not going our way, either in our families or in the church or in society. We quickly give up and say, well, Christ must not be on the throne. But I assure you. That he is. He is on the throne. Because our ultimate hope is not in worldly kings. It is not in worldly princes. Not in worldly presidents. All of these come and go. Our ultimate hope is found in no one else but this Adonai. Because I can assure you, I will fail you. Your friends will fail you. Your family will fail you. Your spouses will fail you. Your communities will fail you. 
Your schools will fail you. Your churches will fail you. The government will fail you. Your doctors will fail you. Everyone is going to fail you. But our ultimate hope is found in this one who calls himself Adonai. Our king. Our faithful king and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Who came in order to conquer sin, Satan and death for us. And when he returns, he will save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And crush Satan under our feet. What greater hope do we have than this? Amen.